0: Welcome to the Web 2.0 show with your hosts, Josh Owens and
1: Chris Saylor. We're a show about the new web,
0: the latest thoughts and technology behind internet development and content delivery. Today we have uh, Chris Messina from Flock with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Where are you from? Uh, I guess who you're working for now, that kind of thing?
2: Sure. Um, I'll try not to be too pedantic about it. Um, but my name is Chris.
3: I currently work as the director of Experience and as the open source ambassador for Flock. I'm originally actually from the East Coast of the US, um, New Hampshire, actually. a little small town. And I currently live in San Francisco. And um, I've been with Flock since the beginning, actually. Um, when it started, out was round two, and then actually before that I was working um, as an admin on the Spread Firefox project, and that's actually how I got involved in the whole thing. And then actually before that, actually during that time, I also worked for an organization called Civic Space, which is making um, grassroots organizing tools. So I think that's kind of it for now.
1: Cool. That's all your past projects?
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> those are the most uh, interesting ones, I think. Um Flock obviously being the most visible um, and most sort of interesting and, and compelling, at least as far as I'm concerned.
1: Cool. Um, go ahead and tell us uh, tell us a little about Flock.
3: Sure. Um, well, Flock started out, um, as I sort of mentioned, as Round 2. And Round 2 was essentially going to build add-ons, extra services, and so on to Firefox after its very successful 1.0 launch. The idea was to sort of take the best-of-breed extensions and you know, take them to the next level. And what ended up happening sometime, maybe back in, I don't know, May, April, June, I don't know, around that time, this past spring, all the developers got together and we had a powwow and we're like, all right, well, let's really figure this out. Let's think this through and let's decide what we should build. At the time we were pretty certain that we wanted to do something like a delicious toolbar. We wanted to take like the tab browser and, you know, GreaseMonkey and Adblock and stuff and roll them all together and sort of make a nice package but we kind of realized that, you know, hey, that's great and all, but building these separate extensions and so on just really kind of leaves something lacking, you know, like building extensions is great, and, and, you know, Firefox is a fantastic platform to build them on, but, you know, how do we make this really, really work for users that aren't accustomed to maybe downloading extensions or want to get more from their browser? And we sort of stumbled upon the, the notion that, hey, you know, the browser has fundamentally not really changed in an awful long time, you know, five, ten years even. Um, it's actually very interesting. Um, Bart DeCrom, our CEO, uh, launched Netscape 1 on his PC the other day, put side-by-side side with, with Firefox. The buttons are literally almost identical between Netscape 1 and Firefox 1. And, on, and all that time, you know, I mean, the rendering engine's gotten better, standards have gotten better and evolved and so on. But the browser itself, the actual stuff around the websites, hasn't really changed much. We realized that right then and there, it's like, hey, you know, Let's uh, take this horse and buggy and, and turn it into a BMW. Cool. I guess what
1: are your uh, what are your goals with the browser?
3: Well, I think um, larger goals sort of personally anyways. I mean when I started out at, at Civic Space, I really wanted, you know, and, and even in my advocacy for Firefox, the whole goal was really to get behind products that enabled people to sort of feel more control of their you know, their computer experience. I guess there's a lot of software that makes people just feel really dumb, I guess. I mean I'm one of that. So, building tools that really empower people and make them feel like, hey, you know, I can get this, I can use this, and you know what, like, this will allow me to communicate with my brother in college, you know, or my parents who barely use the computer at all, is something that I thought was, you know, a really good idea. Yeah, I came from Civic Space, uh, which was, you know, grassroots organizing tools, and realized, hey, here we are building this tool on top of Drupal, which is an open source content management system, and... Yeah it's really hard to use. No matter how much effort I put into skinning this thing and trying to make it look good, mm-hmm. there are underlying issues that simply make it hard to actually get content onto the web. And a good example of that is simply you know, publishing images. Um, they made it so that you can you know, browse your hard drive and find an image and you know, upload it, and then it goes somewhere and you have to link it. And you know, There's like 12 steps or whatever. And if any one of those goes wrong, you know, it's very hard to actually recover from that, especially if you don't know the mechanics of how everything works. Taking just a simple idea like that and saying, hey, you know, people kind of get the idea that, you know, if you drag and drop um, an image into Word, it shows up. That's something that maybe people can get when they do blogging. You know, maybe if people want to create audio files or videos or whatever and just drag and drop into um, a composition area, we can figure out the rest for them and really facilitate their ability to sort of talk back to the web instead of it being sort of a passive medium like TV where you just sort of like watch it and consume everything else that everybody else puts out there. You can actually be a part of that dialogue and um, contribute to it.
1: That's actually Tim Berners-Lee's original vision of how the web was supposed to work. And yeah. somewhere along the way apparently that got lost.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess it was too hard of a problem at that time. You know, or you know, actually I I don't know, but I've heard that a lot. I think that it's it's very interesting that now so many years after you know the web got started that we're finally getting back to that original vision. I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. After Playing around with the, uh, the version 0.2 beta, both Chris and I like the, the breadcrumbs feature that's in Flock, but uh, why would I want to use that over, say, Delicious or Dig?
2: Well, um,
3: the good news is that in um, Flock moving forward, and actually this is part of the original design all along, you will have choice. The breadcrumbs service that we built on Rails in four days, actually, for Flock um, point 0.2 is actually being phased out and replaced with Delicious in the next version. Oh, cool. Um, So, yeah, a lot of people actually um, asked for that feature. I actually was a previously very devout Delicious users. This is sort of, you know, seeing that, hey, we're a browser company. We're not really um, in the business of building web services ourselves. Let's just help out those people who do build them and and use open APIs. Moving forward, again, we're going to have Delicious in there, but you can definitely choose, once we build out the extensibility part of it, any social bookmarking service that you want to use. You know, be it dig, be it furl, be it um, social marks or blog marks or what have you. Um, you know, we really want to embrace the idea of, of having choice in whatever it is that you do with the browser.
1: Excellent. Now, is that going to be like, uh, like a two-way? Are you going to be able to, like delicious bookmarks, are going to be able to read in the bookmarks that we already have?
3: So that's actually a really tricky problem. This is something where there needs to be a lot of work done, and I've, I've personally talked to a number of people about this problem, Somebody has actually developed sort of an Atom protocol for the social bookmarking thing that looks somewhat promising, but what we really need, and actually let me tell you first that when you do load up Flock.5, well, actually the the preview, developer preview, we will import all of your delicious bookmarks and do whatever we can to keep them synchronized. So, for example, if you add tags with Flock, um, we will update that bookmark or favorite, as we're actually calling it, on the web service. But what we really need is sort of IMAP for everything, meaning mm-hmm. that we need a way of synchronizing not only your favorites with the browser, but also your blog posts and, you know, your podcasts or whatever else the browser ends up being able to support. That works sort of, I mean, someone has to actually suggested, well, why don't just use IMAP? And I don't know. I'm not actually that, that kind of technical person, but that's a solution that we're looking for. So if actually any of your listeners uh, know of something or have worked on a similar solution, uh, we'd be very interested in talking to them about it.
1: Oh, cool, we'll put you in touch.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll uh we'll post your email in the show notes if you want. <laughs> um one of the, the things I've noticed, I'm on the micro formats mailing list and I notice you post there sometimes. How how do you plan to work with microformats? Uh what I guess kind of revolutionary way do you plan to develop to handle them, if any at all?
2: Definitely,
3: and it's, it, it has a question. Um, I'm actually good friends with Tantec Um the guy who's the inventor of the Box model Hackish. If that's a, a way to be famous, I guess. And um, yeah,
0: actually, you you should uh, drop Tontic a note and let him know he should uh, get with us and, and get a headset so he can get on the show <laughs> and now too. That I've done <laughs> we send him some questions. That.
2: Um, yeah,
3: but yeah, actually, microformats are are really. Uh, good, simple, elegant solution for solving a lot of the problems that, for example, structured blogging is trying to solve. And the reason why it's a good solution, and I was actually very skeptical um, in the beginning, is that it solves the problem using tools that already exist. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, a text editor or Dreamweaver or, well, probably not front page, but, you know, tools that have been around for quite a while that people are accustomed, um, are accustomed to using. Mm-hmm. So if you can write... XHTML, and you've got a little bit of background in CSS, and you understand what a class is, then you can use microformats. And it's really, really simple. And I really believe, especially once Flock starts supporting it in the browser, that we're going to see a real interesting use of data on different people's websites in really new and innovative ways. So there's already scripts out there, for example. If you mark up your code um, in hcal, for example, uh, which is the the event Standard. You can run it through a script, and it'll actually create an iCal file that you can then load up in iCal on the Mac. So you can go from XHTML right into iCal, and um, there's just a simple transformation between it. So you know it's 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 kind of interesting because you can actually imagine your homepage being like a data format. Um, instead of publishing in both RSS and XHTML, you could actually syndicate your homepage and. With microformats, that's actually possible. So you can actually publish things once. Um, In addition, a lot of things that we're trying to do, again, is is with web services. So you can imagine being able to right-click on something that's been marked up as a microformat. Let's say maybe it's a person. Add that person to your Plaxo uh, address book, for example, right from within the browser. You know, none of this copying and pasting stuff anymore that, you know, takes forever to fill out someone's profile. Um, You can actually just, you know, right-click. And
2: and in addition to that, it's
3: like distributing that data out across the web. So if I have um, something marked up as HCAR on my website, and let's say you subscribe to it, anytime that I make a change to my contact information on my webpage, you could be notified, and it'll come back, you know, get the, the standard code that's on my front page, and update your address book, and you don't have to do anything.
0: Very cool. Um, one of the things that, uh, um, h, the h HCard standard is something kind of near and dear to us as we're working on a Calendaring web service. One of the things we've kind of been interested in is easy, you know, addition of calendar material right to your blog. Do you are you planning to integrate, I guess, microformats with the blogging tool at all, so you can just easily add HCard or HCal right to the right to the blog yeah. posts?
3: One example, actually, that's already in the browser is it's a very old um, standard microformat is the block quote. Um, and what we've done is we've made it very easy for you to, let's say, make a selection on any given website that you think is interesting, drag it into a tool that we call the shelf, uh, which is sort of like a staging area to build your blog posts, create a new blog post, and then drag that content in, and we will mark it up not only with the blog quote, you know, tags, but we'll also build a citation back to that original um, source and then add an actual text
2: citation that says what the source was and what the page title was. So that's one simple way that we can do it. Um, the other way to do it would be to let's say you go to upcoming. dot um, and you you know drag an event from there into the shelf. You drag it back into a blog post. We could actually retain all the information pertaining to that event um, so that other people can add to their calendars my website. Okay. So it's definitely something that we want to do.
0: Let's see,
1: actually, yeah, the shelf is definitely one of the features that I've been I've been looking forward to, just for you know making the ease of blogging and and, and quoting people. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about AJAX? Um, do you, are you guys using that in your uh, in your web service?
3: Um, well, we actually use it on our homepage. Um, when you signed up for the the announcement list, that's actually mm-hmm. that was an AJAX form, um, so it's submitted right there on the page. Um, obviously, that's getting a lot of traction. It was one of the big discussion topics of Web 2.0. Uh, really, what the, I think that represents is a trend towards better user experiences and faster user experiences, things that are more application-like and less web page-like. The reason, again, why it sort of makes sense for us to be building a browser and building richness into that user experience is because there's, at least in my view, there is a certain limit to how far you can take web page design and make it degradable and accessible um, to as many audiences as possible. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a certain point where your code just starts to look like uh, gobbledygook because you're trying to do all this really cool interactivity and make doom out of, you know, uh, XHTML. You know, it's it's just, it, that's not what the, the medium was was intended for. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally forgot what you guys were just saying. <laughs> oh, just using Ajax in your, in your okay, service right. for Flock. <laughs> One of the things that we're actually looking at is that problem with the back button and um, yeah. offline use of Gmail, for example. And it's something that actually sort of is up the stack from us. Um, that's something that Mozilla probably needs to work on, um, the standards guys need to think about. But as more and more apps are being developed that leverage Ajax, the browser does need to become more intelligent about how it deals with it and how it enhances the user experience across the board and doesn't just you know, lead to frustration when you go offline and then all of a sudden the page is weird and breaks and stuff. So as much as we can advocate for a smart solution to that, we will. Earlier
0: we were uh, talking about the origins of Flock and how you guys started out as round 2 and uh, you wanted to kind of up the ante on extensions. Will any Firefox extensions work with Flock or will they have to be rewritten to work with Flock?
2: So the simple story,
3: or I guess the simple answer is yes, Firefox extensions will work with Flock. Um, There are two caveats. One is that you need to run your extension through a simple script. I believe um, that one of our engineers is working on, which basically allows the extension to say, "Hey, I also work with Flock." Um, what extensions do is they look at the sort of browser string or whatever to determine whether or not they're actually capable of that version. And mm-hmm. obviously, they're going to, you know, run into something different when they hit Flock. So all you got to do is just change that script a little bit. The other thing is that. There are a number of extensions that won't actually work with, you know, Firefox 1.5 when it comes out. So we're sort of actually in the same position where as extensions are converted to the latest build of Firefox, which we're going to be based on um, and are based on, the extension developers will just need to, you know, again, run through a script. and, And we're very interested in finding, you know, the best of breed extensions and working with the developers to sort of make sure sure that not only were they work with the Flock, but that we're going to give them some resources to make them even better than they than could be.
1: Are you going to continue to like uh, keep the code in sync with Firefox? Are you going to try to keep it pretty similar, or is this pretty much a, a huge branch? <laughs> <laughs> There's the magic word in the open
3: source world, the fork. <laughs> right. And uh, the answer that I have to that, um, which I think is, is a good one, is that we're not forking the platform. Um, we're staying current with what Firefox is doing. Um, we love the work that they're doing and find it very valuable and really important. And, again, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing if they weren't building such great product. So cool. we're definitely interested in not only contributing to their community um, and staying involved in their community, but also figuring out ways that we can, you know, contribute back, actually, to what is doing um, and, you know, find those, those pet peeve bugs and, and put some development dollars towards that or something like that. So we are going to stay up to date with that, and we're not forking the platform. And, um, yeah, we're actually looking forward to figuring out the best way that we can all work together, you know. And... You know, history has shown, you know, this is this is um, something that's actually very common, and I think one of the best parts about open source is that you can have a lot of different ideas put out there. I mean, look at Camino, right? Like, Camino is a really great yeah. browser for the Mac, and that's mm-hmm. built on top of Firefox. Yeah. So we kind of look at, you know, that as, as being, um, you know, just another good example of, of how open source works.
1: Now, we talked about, um, as far as additional features are concerned, I know we talked about the shelf for quoting, what additional uh, mega-spager features, I guess, that make life easy for bloggers and mm-hmm. for content publishing?
3: So one of the big things that we've done, besides like the shelf and besides the, the full text history search, which is built in, we've also added a new interface area called the top bar. And as you can imagine, the top bar is like sidebars, except on the top. What we're trying to do with that is, is not only create a, an accessible area of the screen that you can use to pull in content from web services, for example, Flickr Photos, which is currently built in, but allow that to be sort of an extensible place where people with decent web design skills who are making dashboard widgets, for example, can build their own sort of custom top bars up there that sit with the browser. And the Don't really mind. great thing about top the, the top bar area is that it's sort of like the first cross-platform way of deploying something like an extension. Um, You know, there's Confabulator, which is like Mac and PC, and then there's Dashboard Widgets, and then Microsoft has their own little widgets. But ours are going to work on Linux, Mac, and PC all the same. So I'm actually really, really excited about the top bar, what it represents as far as raising the bar on extension design and giving people a way of pulling in content from various web services.
1: I was really excited about that because I I used the Flickr uh-huh. I guess the Flickr part of it, to actually post, uh, you know, you pull the image down into into your blog, yeah. and that is, I think that is a huge hole right now, like you mentioned earlier with Drupal, is just it's publishing images. Um, uh-huh. You know, my wife has a blog, and I had to show her how to, you know, she uses WordPress, and I had to show her how to, okay, you upload the picture over here, and you copy and paste the HTML, and you paste uh-huh. it over here in your blog post, and that is just, that is just completely unaccessible for the average person.
3: Well, and it's it's a pain in my ass, you know. Like, I hate doing that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, so, yeah um,
3: absolutely. And, you know, actually, one of the things that we're going to be doing in, in subsequent releases is actually allowing you to upload via that top bar, um, the Flickr top bar. So you can just drag stuff in there. Actually, we want to get to the point where you can drag images from your desktop into the blog editor and it'll upload to whatever, you know, image server you're, you're using, you know. Like, you could actually replace Flickr with, with Gallery, you know, the open source... Um, gallery tool, if you wanted to, yeah. as your repository for images. So that, again, is, is exposing that kind of extensibility and leveraging the APIs that people are putting out there.
1: Wow, that is going to be absolutely incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't wait to start using it. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll get that, that <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: I know you mentioned before the, uh, the grassroots campaign that you were working on. What was um, it called again? Civic Space. Civic Space. Is that the one that you mentioned when we were chatting back and forth via email?
2: Uh, I believe so. It was the one that started out as, as Dean Space, which is part of the, the Hall of Project, and actually, oh, okay. Is the, that, that software was used um, oh. on the spread Firefox class, which is how I got involved in all this stuff. <clears throat> is this the
0: one you were talking about you were just starting to talk to people uh, about? No. Uh,
2: yeah, that that's the one uh, I was okay. trying to get you to talk okay. about. <laughs> no, so actually, so obviously, you know, open at Civic Space and so on, um, that's sort of where I um, maybe, maybe like cut your teeth, I guess, on, uh, on open source, and I started first sort of actually getting it. it. I've really only been involved in open source for years. I'm very new, but I've, I've noticed a lot of things that need a little bit of, of massaging,
3: I suppose you could say. And one of those is actually figuring out how to support community-driven open source projects like WordPress or Drupal or Ruby on Rails and so on, and giving them the space the, the tools that they need, the infrastructure to grow. Um, for example, Drupal had a, a website hosting issue, I think a couple months back, to the point where you know, the server was going down and you know, CVS wasn't available. And so this was actually affecting the CVS development, or I'm sorry, civics space development, because we relied on their servers. So we had started talking to the open source lab via Scott Kaviton. They were going to do our hosting for us because I had worked with them on Spread Firefox. All of a sudden, one weekend, the whole website went down. Couldn't get access to it. The guy who was supposed to be sort of like admitting it was like on vacation with his girlfriend or something, and like it was like behind wall doors, and I don't know. It was was crazy. So, you know, the server's down. We're trying to figure out what to do, and we're like, all right, well, this is crazy. So let's, you know, throw up a fundraiser. Let's, you know, raise some money and buy a server and go put it at at OSL. You know, they're all set for us. We just got to buy the hardware. So we're like, all right, we got to raise three grand. Let's give it ten days and see what we do. So literally, we put up the announcement on, I believe, a Saturday night, and within 48 hours, we pulled in $11,000, wow. you know, from Drupal contributors. And um, that's very similar to what happened with um, the Mozilla New York Times ad, which I was also a part of, where, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll pull in 30000 $50,000, whatever, and we'll put this ad in the paper. And we pulled in a quarter of a million dollars, you know, or something like that in 10 days. Wow. You know, it's ridiculous, right? And this is the power of the open source grassroots, you know, movement. And it's like they don't, they haven't even seen it yet. They haven't even seen how powerful they could be. This project that I'm working on um, is, is something of, a, of an open source umbrella foundation in sort of like the tradition of, of Apache, but geared, again, more towards community-driven efforts. So ones that don't necessarily have corporate involvement yet, um, you know, aren't server software, things like that. Trying to give them a way to process donations, um, to figure out questions about IP, copyright, and so on. Moving eventually towards being able to actually offer full-time employment for open source developers and give them health care. And a living wage, and actually build up a kind of business economy around building sensible open source tools. So there's that. That that that's um, a big part of it. And I've been doing a lot of research, um, talking to a lot of people. You know, working actually with a lot of the, the other open source foundations to figure out the best way to go about this. And the corollary to that is building a set of tools, um, which I sort of call the social source forge or source forge version two, that give tools to to sort of non developers to, well, I mean, people like me. I mean, I'm, I'm originally a designer. Coming up with ideas, sketching them, designing them, writing, for example, doing documentation, translations, all those things, they're just not good tools um, that provide sort of an integrated suite for open source people to use. And what I'd like to see is these tools built in a sort of social way, so that you can meet up with friends in a local area, you know, small town or what have you, get together and then collaborate across the internet with people, you know, on all sides of the world, you know, build really awesome stuff. And that was what was really missing from this Red Firefox campaign. You know, we just didn't really have the tools for grassroots marketing. You know, we had blogs and forums, and, and then I finally got a Basecamp account. But besides that, there was just really nothing. Um, I was doing most of my design working Flickr, right? And it just makes sense that open source finally has a set of tools that's simple, effective, helps non-developers get involved with,
2: with the whole open source movement. Cool. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, very cool. Is there a name for this project right now or a website that, that our listeners could go to to get more information yeah, I on asked,
2: this? We, um, I've been mostly talking face to face actually with most people about it. So there's not a website yet, but I've totally called it, on um, Civic Forge, um, sort of merging the ideas of Civic Space with SourceForge. Yeah, I mean, I've got a domain, so now it's just a matter of getting people
3: behind it that want to build it. And, um, I should note that there's this, uh, sort of Monthly gathering that goes on out here in um, on the peninsula um, called Super Happy Dev House, and that's actually where Barcamp was born. Well, sort of out of out of that tradition, I guess. And we get together on Friday nights and code all night, you know, to the next morning, and um, and yeah, and, you know, good time, whatever. The next Super Happy Dev House, which is coming up on November fifth, and you can obviously find details at SuperHappyDevHouse.com. And that's D-E-V. We're going to start, I think, actually building some of these tools out. And starting to spec out what civic floors might look like, the people that I talk to seem really interested in it, and I would love to just see sort of a distributed tool set, you know, that also allows people to go off and have their own SVN repositories or what have you, and just plug into the system that we build um, to aggregate stuff, um, happen, um, and happen sooner than later. So, you know, people around the the world or whatever, if they want to start doing these things, you know,
2: Yeah, time to get involved. Now, um, one of the things you touched upon was. Uh... You know, funding open source projects, and since Block itself is open source, and of course, there's also you know some going on in the open no world about uh, you know VC funding all these startups.
1: Um, you know, I'm not sure what your liberty to what you're at liberty to discuss. Do you have plans on on
2: making sure that Block is you know viable? Absolutely. Um, you know, and and first and foremost, I think. You know, whenever this, this topic comes up, because I mean the fundamental question is, you know, what's your business model? And mm-hmm. um, I still have a T-shirt for that. But um besides the point. you know, when it comes down to it, first of all, well, we want to we want to make sure that block is sustainable. Um we have a lot of really good ideas, a lot of long term ideas about how we can the browser and grow and adapt and become a better platform for deploying web services. Mm-hmm. So that's a really important idea. And you know, I thought a lot about it a lot about this just because I've been asked so many times and I find it I guess you know, the thing is after the, the first dot dot-com boom um, and bust of course
3: that people became really kind of scared that you know an idea by itself isn't isn't worth you know uh, investing in I guess in a sense whether whether it's you know monetarily or whether it's with your time or with your attention or what have you it's like oh well you know you've got to have some robust business model you know if you want my my uh my attention and my trust and so on. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. I mean, you've got to have some good ideas and some good thinking behind the product that you're making um, or the services that you want to offer. But chances are, if the idea is a good one, the ways to fund it or the ways to get support behind it will come to meet you. And I found that over and over again at Firefox, like we would put out calls for, for volunteers to do stuff. And so often they would come back and just blow us away. They would have so many good ideas and contribute so much to what we were doing. Um, there was just no way that we could have done what we did without all their efforts. I mean, having that experience tells me it's like, yeah, the business model is, you know, important for the people writing the checks and whatever, but fortunately that's not really my part of the job. My part of the job is to make sure that what we're doing makes sense and is in line with the community's um, interests. You know, we, we can we can look at, like, Opera um, as an example or even Mozilla. And they've they've found good ways of of, um, establishing a revenue to to pay employees. And as long as that's possible, let's find really good ideas and let's build stuff that really works for people. And, um, you know, the business model will come from that. You know, we're at a whole new point in transition in where the web is. And I think that, you know, with the way that web services are being built out now, there's going to be a lot of potential for finding new economic models and what have you that haven't even been thought of yet. Yeah.
1: Josh and I are firm believers in uh, in the power of just a couple of guys, an idea, and, uh, <laughs> and a cheap in a cheap server.
3: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> well, uh, were there any other uh, projects or anything that you were working on that you wanted to talk about, Chris?
2: Um, I guess the only other thing that I can think about is really I mean, actually, I touch on maybe is the whole blockchain part that that's going on, and and the only reason is simply because we um, we're actually I'm. I'm helping to organize uh, Bar Camp which is the second Bar Camp that we're doing. The first one was here in Palo Alto, hosted by Social
3: Text, and um, it, was a, it was a fantastic success. You know, we were expecting, you know, we'd have like 12 of our friends show up, and we'd just do this little thing, and it'd be, you know, fun. And we ended up having 300 people, you know, throughout the whole weekend, and uh, it was just awesome. That, again, is, is an example of people coming up to support good ideas. So we're doing the same thing over, over in Amsterdam, um, immediately following oscon, following DrupalCon as well. The guys from places are going to be there, from Leipster, from Mozilla Europe. Even Nat Torkington from O'Reilly is going to come, and um, as much as we can find ways of, of collaborating with
2: them, we're going to see this stuff keep happening. So that's about it. You um, check out the details on that. Cool,
0: very cool. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show, Chris. We've uh, enjoyed interviewing you. Exactly. This has been a Steel Pixel production. For more information about Steel Pixel, you can check out steelpixel.com. Or for more information about the show, feel free to check out web20show.com. That's wbb 20